Welcome, and thank you for listening to this episode of the AI Drama Files, produced by Chris to the J.Media. Today, we continue with the third installment of the Jenkins vs. Side Story Hinosis, written by user Hume underscore Reddit. When we left the story last, our ensemble of alien station workers came to terms with the human stowaway now living amongst them, though many feared her and what might follow in her wake. However, a challenge by the engineer that brought the woman aboard prompted many into seeing how little a threat the blind and deaf human was. Through that challenge, the various species aboard the station grew closer and more connected to one another, more than they, perhaps, ever realized. But now, we rejoined this story after a wave of dread and despair spread throughout the crew with the arrival of a single, menacing ship. The Hunters a species of cybernetic monstrosities that gorge themselves on sapient life, have arrived to plunder, pillage, and hunt as they always do. Let us see how our alien friends choose to fight their greatest enemy as we dive into Hinosis Part 3 Written by user Hume underscore Reddit Vertru had been relaxing in the starboard docking array. He'd been feeling inspired and creative for the past 10 days. It was too late to alter the structure of the current station, but he had ideas for the next. He was off shift, so he picked up his data tablet, a bowl full of Vesic salad, and carried them off to a starboard docking port for some quiet while he put together models. The main docking arms were as wide as a planetary highway and seemed almost as long. Gertrude liked to find a seat somewhere in the middle and draw. He'd been putting the finishing touches on a rough two-dimensional representation of a new docking array, one inspired by the curling ferns he'd seen in the station's growing arboretum. The design was quite attractive, in his admittedly biased opinion, but was also very functional, and he looked forward to giving it to the station commander to present to the central administration. He'd been finding new ideas in all kinds of strange places recently as if he was looking at alien construction with new eyes and seeing the merits in all of them. Then he felt it, a deep dread. He looked up and saw the hunter pack ship diving at the docking array, visible through the transparent crystal sheets that made up the tops of the docking arms, Vertru's own design. He leapt to his feet, tablet forgotten, as the hunter ship impacted. Its sharp nose smashed through the side of the docking arm a third of the way further down from where Virtue stood. The shock rippled up the structure of the station, knocking him from his feet, and he felt the entire structure shudder as the station's safeties used kinetic thrusters to try to counter the impact. Far down the arm, he could see the hunter ship's nose stabbing into the station. He could see the nose drop open like a bird's beak. He could see the first of the dreaded creatures invading the station. Vertru did the sensible thing, and ran in the opposite direction. Lev, let me in. Lev, of all the inbred, filthy, sucking. He g-pounded on the dome while trying to find a profanity that properly encompassed the situation. He'd nearly been knocked away into space when the hunter ship impacted the starboard main docking arm. But fortunately he brought his thruster pack and was able to push himself back. Then he carefully thrust down towards the bottom of the dome, near the station proper, and found one of the airlocks located along the edge. The problem was the lock had to be operated from the inside, and Kiji couldn't contact Lev nor any of his assistants. 
The hunters were broadcasting a jamming signal, and Kiji couldn't reach a hard line. The station was huge and barely populated. He couldn't just thrust to one of the other ports and hope someone was on the other side. The only place he knew someone was present was the dome, which is why he was pressed against the crystal sheeting like a hiplip fly, begging for someone to notice him, preferably someone who didn't plan to eat him. He pounded on the crystal dome once again, unsure whether his meager thumps could even be heard inside. By the stars, Lev, Kiji poked at his wrist comp, wondering if the jamming had ceased for a brief moment. It was forgotten a moment later as the huge Govnarag Nagyavindragon burst out of the bushes, galloping to the airlock. Kiji saw the holographic interface burst into being under Lev's hand and scrambled over to the external door that opened moments later. He stomped and spit impatiently, willing the airlock cycle to move faster. But the machinery wouldn't be hurried, which Kiji thought was entirely ungrateful, considering he was one of the beings who helped install it. Finally, the airlock was pressurized and the inner door swung inward. Kiji was already bolting in, paws grasping at his helmet's release. Kiji, hunters. Lev's voice shook, and his flanks were the color of terror. The Gowan's helmet popped off, and he flexed his muzzle, making his ears pop. I know, I know, just give me a moment. What should we do? What can we do? Kiji looked out beyond the dome, at the menacing ship embedded in the distant docking arm. I don't know. Lokale were not meant for running. The docking arm was a long, wide, and very open thoroughfare. Virtue's stumpy legs drove him along with all the speed his panic could muster, but the hunters had seen him almost immediately and were pursuing even faster than he could run. There were terminals dotting the length of the arm, and Vertru would pause and quickly activate the kinetic fields that separated each section. But the fields were meant to stop escaping atmosphere in the event of a breach, not pulse fire. And the time spent erecting the fields was time not spent running. If anything, the hunters seemed amused at his desperate antics. It took them mere moments to weaken the fields enough to allow solid objects through, and then they were on his heels again. Virtue marveled at his own mind. Terror infused every fiber of his being, and yet his perception seemed sharpened to a razor edge. He felt hyper-aware, like colors had gained extra meaning, like he could hear the buzz of the kinetic fields and the whisper of the air circulators, as if he could feel the plating beneath his feet flex from the mass of evil that was hanging off the station's arm. His thoughts had never been so clear or so fast. Unfortunately, his body couldn't keep up and his turbocharged brain only meant that he felt the pain all the more exquisitely as a pulse blast caught him in the leg, reducing the bone just below his right knee into fragments and crushing the flesh around it. Vertru cried out in agony as the limb collapsed underneath him, sending him crashing to the deck and tumbling. For a moment there was nothing but the pain, as another part of his mind noted that he was on the ground, helpless, and waited for the next blast to finish him off. The finishing shot didn't come, and he managed to labor up onto his arms, peeking over his shoulder. Three hunters were approaching, slowly, savoring the moment. Three was too many. One was too many. And now he couldn't run. There was nothing he could do. He could only wait and hope they'd kill him quickly, before they began to eat him. No fights. Fire ignited in his belly. Pain turned to anger. Not at the fact that they were going to kill him 
but that they thought they could do it so easily, like he was nothing, an annoyance, a toy. And then they were going to invade the station and do it to the others. They were going to kill the crew? His crew? No, they would not. He managed to start crawling, dragging himself forward with his four arms and one good leg. His shattered leg was forgotten. If he'd had a fusion sword, he'd have struck it off himself, discarding the useless weight. It bounced behind him as he crawled, bent at a horrid and unnatural angle, and surely the hunters thought it was hilarious. Fine, let them be distracted. He made his agonizing way to the next terminal, the UI springing into being at his touch. A quick few presses and the last kinetic field between himself and the hunters clicked into being. The hunters immediately began pounding it with pulse blasts in a leisurely manner. It was merely the last desperate act of doom prey. But Vertru wasn't finished with the terminal. He went deeper into the menus, pulling up administrative interfaces he'd never seen before but still navigated with ease. He sought the management of the gravity in the section. He wasn't a technician, but he shinned power regardless. A warning came up and he overrode it with a code he wasn't supposed to know. He didn't question where the knowledge came from, merely satisfied with knowing that he wasn't helpless. There was a buzzing sound behind him as an object, perhaps several objects, pushed their way through the kinetic field. A burst of kinetic energy caught him in the back, in his upper shoulder, and he was smashed against the wall in terminal. He tumbled to the ground again, crying out in anguish. Again he found his anger, and with his good pair of arms struggled upward, turning around to flop against the wall in a sitting position, the terminal within reach. He saw one of the hunters advancing. Apparently just one of the horrid six-legged predators had been granted the right to finish him. He glared at the creature as it advanced. It was cautious, confused at his lack of fear. It was too bad hunters rarely bothered to speak to their prey, as he would have told it he'd run out of fear moments before. It wasn't useful, so he'd thrown it away. Now there was only anticipation, eagerness. It seemed he owed his mater an apology. He had come to space to cause destruction, but he could make it artful. Going to eat me, eh? Vertru spat at the hideous face of the hunter. The creature hissed, not even bothering to aim its guns, instead flexing its claws in grim promise. A peaceful lassitude had come over him, and though his leg and shoulder were agonizing, the pain just didn't matter. Instead he felt intense satisfaction. I hope you like your meat cold. With the last of his strength, he slapped a palm on the nearby control pad. The lights went black, and the entire station heaved. In the distant med bay, the lone human made a noise of sorrow. Bertrude rerouted all the power flowing into that arm of the station into the gravity plates of the corridor, overloading them. They put out 10,000 times their maximum rated output before they burned out. The entire arm was snapped off by the stresses, cutting off the hunter ship and giving us a reprieve. It was really quite an inspired action. Have he said and Turkitz hid his astonishment at hearing actual admiration and pride in the Cordai's voice. Vertru was an architect, not a technician. Turkitz pointed out. I'm surprised he knew how. Obviously he had hidden talents. Apparently. Kiji and Lev Ragan were in shock. They had watched as the starboard docking arm had seemed to implode. 
an entire corridor section collapsing flat before detonating into a burst of shattered metal and crystal shards. Two-thirds of the arm snapped off completely, drifting away and carrying the hunter ship with it. They were also in shock because they knew, knew, that Vertru had died in the implosion. They weren't sure how. The arm had been too far away, and they were at the wrong angle to see inside. But they were sure that the locale was gone, having sacrificed himself to buy them time. Just time. Because while perhaps a hunter or two had been killed in the implosion, the amputated section must have had enough emergency power left to sustain emergency kinetic fields and hold the atmosphere in long enough for the hunters to make it back to their ship. As the pair watched, the insect-like ship withdrew from the severed arm, then dove downward, past the arboretum. Anger could be seen in the way the ship flew. The hunters did not like being outsmarted by prey. Moments later the station had shaken again. The hunters piercing the installation from a different, more secure spot. But the shaking had not been sharp. The station shook and shook, like simply piercing the hole hadn't been enough. The hunter ship must have been continuing to thrust, burrowing ever deeper, like a parasite into flesh. There was a brief pause, like an indrawn breath, and then the shaking resumed, harder and briefer, then ended. The attackers emerged again from behind the curve of the station's hull, and the pair could see wreckage hanging from the reinforced front of the vessel, like scraps of flesh hanging from a predator's teeth. The ship turned and of again, to the bottom of the station, near the reactors and utility areas. There was another sharp jolt, then nothing. Levragan stared. What? What are they doing? The answer was given a moment later as a spray drifted into view from the second impact site. A torrent of frozen atmosphere. Move! Move! Cal roared as the crew was caught in a sudden windstorm. They'd all felt the ship curse the hull again, but apparently piercing hadn't been sufficient for the hunter's needs. The enemy ship had pierced and then dug, thrusting hard, pushing itself in through the bulkheads, through compartment after compartment, until the needle-like nose of the ship reached the inner shaft itself. The hunter ship must have been almost entirely buried in the outer hole to extend so far. The hunters didn't invade. If they had, Cal had nearly 20 pulse pistols and 5 pulse rifles waiting for them. A pitifully small force, and the entirety of the limited stock of the armory provided to a station still in construction, but more than enough to handle the hunters had they been kind enough to breach in ones and twos like they'd be forced to do through the small breaching tube of their ship. Nearly 50 of Cal's crew were mustered together in the central shaft, while the remainder were making their way upward, towards the command areas, with orders to lock the doors behind them and signal that the station was in distress. The hunters had pushed in several decks below and on the opposite side of the shaft, giving them a perfect elevated position to rain fire down upon them. The hunters were neither so kind, nor so foolish. Almost the moment the armored proboscis on the front of the ship had come into view, the ship had reversed, pulling out along the same path it had come in. A squeal of air turned into a roar, as the entire atmosphere of the inner shaft vented out through the giant hole left behind. A few emergency kinetic fields made a futile effort to hold back the mass of air, but the volume was simply too much. The notion of the inner shaft being breached short of the total loss of the station had never been considered. 
If anything, their sudden failure only made the decompression even more explosive. Two crew were blown over the railing that surrounded the shaft, torn away by the torrent of air. If there was a mercy, it was that they'd certainly be dead or unconscious by the time they reached vacuum. A Cortai engineer next to Cal was lifted into the air. But with reflexes he didn't even know he had, the commander managed to snap the unfortunate being and reel him back in. The group rushed for the nearest boars out of the shaft, their commander on their heels. There were too many of them to push through a single door, so they split radially into five groups, each heading to the nearest escape. Cal had a moment of pride as they moved with precision. The Vizic Tit and Ritik Tik Pakir of the crew helping pull along the smaller, lighter core tie and Molmir, the heavy, blockish annoy trailing behind to snatch any being who got lifted off their feet. It was a fight to get through the door. The inner compartments were venting into the shaft through the door, and Cal's larger size gave the air more surface area to push against. A Vizic Tit, GGP, leaned out to snag the hand of a perk. The core tie Cal was pulling along, leaving the commander's hands free to grab the edges of the door and pull himself in. Commander. Someone shouted in front of him, pointing. He turned, seeing that his group had lost someone, a Vizic Tick named Thirik who had been knocked to the ground. Thirik was clutching at the deck, unable to do more than lift his head lest the outrush of air push him even further away. Cal dropped to the deck, cooking two of his legs around the door and gripping as best as he could with the two arms on that side. He actually let himself slide back out into the shaft, reaching for the fallen crew member. He strained, reaching as far as he could, while Thirik struggled as well. The other teams had made it through their doors, sealing them behind them. Unfortunately, that meant the door Cal clutched was the only outlet for the pressure. Their hands twisted just barely out of each other's reach. Cal didn't care how he was able to hear him over the rushing air. Yes, you can. Reach! The rip pushed forward, crawling forward by microns. Their fingertips almost touched. Then a gust caught the Vezic tick and shoved him back. You can! After that last burst, the pressure began to ease. Unfortunately, that meant that the atmosphere left inside the hull was beginning to run out. Soon there wouldn't be anything left to breathe, even if they shut down sections of the station and reallocated the atmosphere. But Cal wasn't going to leave his crew behind. Leave me, close No, come on. He refused to give up, although his vision was starting to get spotty. Even then, he could still see the moment when Thirig made the decision. He could see the welder steal himself. Vezigtik tended to be somewhat subservient, desperate for the approval of their Ritiktik Pakir cousins, well aware that the other species was far more clever. But in that moment, Thirig did the math and knew his commander was wrong. So he did what was needed. He shoved downward, lifting himself off the deck. The torrent of air caught him, tossing him away. No! Cal stared at where Thirik had been a split second before. There was nothing that he could do. He felt the other crew seize his feet and legs, hauling their commander back inside. The door slid shut, the escaping atmosphere reducing to an ear-piercing shriek. Then silence. He crawled forward on his four knees, leaning against the sealed door. He was certain he felt it, although it had to be his imagination. He felt the moment Thirik lost consciousness. Felt the moment the lowly welder died. 
Hal felt like he'd lost a portion of himself. Like he hadn't entirely escaped the shaft. For a moment he could do nothing but lean against the door and shiver. Hal glanced up. Dozens of eyes were watching him. The same distress echoed in all of them. He wasn't sure who had spoken. It could have been any of them. There was no time for mourning. His crew needed him. He stood up and looked them over. If any thought less of him for his moment of weakness, there was no evidence of it. Let's go. They're not done, and neither are we. Kiji and Lev had watched the burst of frozen atmosphere expand away from the station. Their eyes weren't sharp enough to spot the pale dots against the blackness of space. The dots that had once been living beings, but they knew they were there. Inside, their crewmates were dying. They could feel it. What do we do? Lev asked softly. Kiji had no answer. His claws were pricking his paws, and he was certain he'd never felt so angry in his life. But his claws were nothing compared to a hunter's, and they had no weapons. What could they do? Havi was frightened but not surprised when the diagram of the station had suddenly turned a vast swath of orange, indicating pressure loss. Breaching the inner shaft was merely a means to an end. It impeded the defenders, yes, but it wasn't enough on its own. The station was too large, the hunters too few. It would be impossible to prevent the defenders from going to ground, unless the hunters left no ground to go to. That was why she wasn't surprised to see a breach warning on the lower utility decks, and the alerts that popped up on her screen a short while afterward, indicating that the tertiary atmospheric reprocessor had been destroyed, followed shortly thereafter by the secondary. The hunters were going to choke the crew into submission. First, punch a hole straight through the heart of the station so that the main shaft was exposed to space then penetrate the lower decks and claim the machinery that kept the air that remained breathable. From there, they could simply continue punching holes in the hull, venting compartments and corralling the defenders into smaller and smaller sections until they were concentrated together, ripe for the harvest. Or they could simply wait and let the crew come to them in a desperate bid to restart the last reprocessor. Havi's scientific mind analyzed the situation was commentarous. Meanwhile, her more practical side gibbered with panic. What were they going to do? What was she going to do? She glanced over at the human, who was sitting cross-legged on the medical bed that had become hers, staring at nothing as she usually did. Her expression was strangely intent, though there was no way to know what she was thinking. Havi was faintly envious. Oh, to be human. To be spared the burdens of awareness, responsibility, or intellect. The human's face twisted with displeasure. Perhaps she had gas. Kavi edged away. Alas, a prodigious mind was a cortized blessing and curse. She had to figure out some way of putting it to use. Were the hunters advancing or waiting? Was there any way to determine where they were? A fully functional station would of course have presence monitors in every section, but 9,384 ml IKL was still being built and hunters were difficult to separate from machinery in the first place. What alternatives were there? What sensors would still have power? She resisted an urge to stomp her foot. Gravity. The gravity plating still functioned, and the network was tied into the hard lines, separate from communications, 
Every plate had an integrated sensor so it could monitor its own output and any interfering gravity fields. All mass-generated gravitons, even a heavy, cybernetically enhanced carnivorous space monster. Havi dashed over to her workstation. She had a moment to be thankful that the safeguards had yet to be installed during construction as she answered a password request with an empty line. A moment's navigation brought her to the gravity network. She had specialized in biology, not technology, but navigating the parameters of the gravity plating came to her easily, almost instinctively. Soon she was receiving telemetry from every gravity plate on the station, numbers that danced with every flex of the structure, with the movement of the nearby moon, with the storms of the gas giant. But would the movement of bodies on board stand out? She overlaid a delta map on top of the display of the station, a model that had yet to be updated with the grim fate of the starboard dawn. The map displayed a solid layer of noise. Havi adjusted the parameters, eliminating variations that affected too large an area at once, or were too slow to be artificial, and other signals that couldn't possibly be caused by a living being. The yellow faded, becoming sharper, until small dots hovered over the parts of the station that were still livable. A large mass was near the top of the shaft. The crew, as she watched a large portion split off, making its way to the very top of the station and the command areas. A smaller mass stayed behind. She knew the larger mass were those crew members who didn't have weapons, who were being sent away to where they would be safe. The smaller group was the armed group. Kalbiki, Kerr was with them. Kavi paused. How did she know this? It was a reasonable guess, of course, but she felt certain. As sure as if Cal had sent her a message himself. She dismissed the question as unimportant as the lower sections of the station resolve. There was a large blotch at the outer hull, the hunter ship, moving slightly in the puncture wound it had inflicted upon the station. Two decks above the ship and in the middle of the station there was another mass, which would split into smaller dots and then re-merge. The hunters, apparently opting to wait for the station crew to come to them. Or perhaps not. As she watched, a small dot separated from the larger, moving into the corridors. The dot began to move upward, through the emergency stairwells, drifting outwards to the outer hall. Cavi puzzled. Where were they going? After a moment, their track revealed itself. The hunters were moving in a direct route toward the lifts to the station arboretum. The gravimetric map was fizzier in that area due to the presence of the trees, but she was sure the large dot near the bottom side of the dome represented at least one crew member. Her strange omniscience made itself known again in the form of certainty that the dot was actually two crew, Kiji and Levragan. How could she warn them? The cons were dead, thanks to the relentless electronic noise being broadcast by the hunter pack ship. Could she hope that they might have the same inspiration she had? Once she would have considered the idea ridiculous, but over the last handful of diurnals, she had been slowly coming to the realization that perhaps this crew wasn't composed of the normal collection of brainless dolts. They'd been anticipating her needs more often, respecting her desire for silence. And yet, when they spoke, sometimes they said things that made them sound almost cordy-like. At the same time, she'd felt more satisfaction in assisting them. And their presence wasn't nearly as irritating as once it had been. Was it connected to this strange knowing? 
Were they, too, experiencing odd insights? Perhaps it was time to trust in them. She made a copy of her gravimetric analyzer and left it right inside the gravity plate systems where anyone could find it. Then she glared at the small, unmoving blob of yellow light inside the graphical image of the dome. Not far away, another blob was closing in. Come on, you stupid furball. Avious. It's obvious. I have an idea. Kiji blurted suddenly. He moved back to the terminal next to the airlock. He tapped and dove into menus, accessing portions of the station network he never had cause to examine before but nonetheless navigated with familiarities. Nearly all the station systems are still in backward debug mode. He explained. That includes the gravity plating. If we can graph the feedback variations on the plates. You can chart the movement of mass, and thus the hunters. Lev completed, impressed. Yes, I'll just need to come up with. The giant's voice trailed off. What? What is it? There's already a program to do it here. Kiji replied, mystified. It has Dr. Kavi's identifier on it. She wrote it. How would she know? You can ask her that later. Lev replied impatiently. Use it. Right, right. He tapped the symbol and the holo shifted to show a wireframe model of the station. An obsolete model, thanks to the destroyed starboard docking ring. He had to resist the chitter of delight as the model was suddenly covered in a yellow mass, one that faded and globbed together into several masses of light. Near the top of the station was the largest mass, the gathered crew. In the middle was a smaller group, moving downward, the armed group led by the station commander. Near the bottom was a yet smaller blob, the hunters themselves. And on the other side of the station, above the commander's group, and moving in the opposite direction. Oh, oh, speed. What? Don't say things like that and not explain. He G craned his neck upward toward his friend. A hunter is coming here. What? Lev's flanks had turned such a vivid shade of green they seemed to glow. What? What are we going to do? We hide. The gardens are dense enough. Even you can disappear in the grove. We're not the target. These are. They're coming for the Arboretum. Lev gestured broadly at the surrounding greenery, at the young trees and bushes which had only just found purchase in their artificial environment. They breached the central shaft, Kichi. The station's lost a huge amount of breathables, and the reclaimers aren't running. The last major pressurized space is the dome and the only oxygen generators still operating are these. If we hide, they'll breach the dome, or set fire to it. Then you and I will just be the ones to die first. If the hunters have damaged the reprocessors, then we need these plants. Kiji stared at him, his muzzle hanging open. Fear made his first stand on end. Fear and resignation. Then I guess we make a stand. He closed his eyes for a moment, gathering his courage, then looked up at his companion. Please tell me you have a weapon of some sort. Lev held up a vibro cutter, meant for trimming plants. Kiji sighed, taking the knife from him. Well, maybe we can sculpt a menacing topiary. He blinked as an idea occurred to him. He looked down at his shoe. Then he began to jog, headed in the direction of the lifts into the station. Come on. We can't beat hunters with a knife. We won't have to. We can even the odds in other ways. A single hunter emerged from the lift, 
the twin pulse guns embedded in its arms tracking back and forth. Corpse white lips pulled away from its dagger-like teeth. Normally the two hunters would advance as a group, but the species was not stupid, and painful lessons at the hands of humans and their allies had taught them caution. The first was a vanguard, a baiter who would search for traps and other deviousness. Once whatever stratagems the prey had revealed themselves, or the beta declared the way safe, the others of the group would move up. It did not seem to be the case in the dome as the hunter moved forward. It was known that at least two prey were present in the dome. It had been trivial to simply look through the transparent dome as the swarm ship had flown in during the attack. The greenery in the dome provided an ideal place to hide, and the hunter scanned the area carefully. It didn't see the prey at first. No, it was scent that caught its attention. The delicious odor of meat and fear. It turned, following the slight draft. There, through some bushes, a bipedal shape could be barely seen. The hunter hissed with delight and loosed a trio of pulse blasts. The rockinetic energy tore through the bush with ease, smashing into the huddled shape and knocking it away like a toy. The figure was slammed back against the tree behind it, limp and unmoving. The hunter stormed forward, eager to confirm the kill and reward itself with a small taste. The figure, one of the prey EVA suits, lay bonelessly at the bottom of the tree. The hunter advanced slowly, wary of any traps, but the white-clad figure did not move. It found out why a moment later as it reached down and lifted the suit with a cybernetic limb. Its claws pierced the fabric, hissing filling the silence as the suit deflated. The hunter snarled, shredding the decoy with fury at the deception. You have been listening to part three of Hinosis, written by user Qume underscore Reddit, on the AI drama files produced by Chris to the JDOT Media. We will leave Hinosis here for the time being, as next week we will bring a special Christmas-themed episode here on the AI drama files. Then, to close out the year, the final climactic part. Four of Hinosis will close out the month as well as 2023. So until then, we simply ask you to like and subscribe to this podcast, and leave a rating and review for this episode on whatever platform you're listening through. The AI Drama Files is a production of Chris to the J. Media, with a special thank you to the online AI voice software at Murph AI. Associated voices and links for copyrighted sources for music and sound effects are listed in the description of this episode as is a link to this story's original transcript and the wider Jenkins verse and its canon as a whole. As always, we thank you for joining us on this episode of the AI Drama Files and can't wait to engage your ears and mind next time.